Louise's his mother the Comtesse sets before him. She tells him, You are not noble, but nobility can be granted. It lies in the gift of the king, and the king is my cousin. Will's head spins with thoughts of what seems to lie ahead. I could have servants of my own, and horses, and armor made for me, so that I could ride in the tournaments and, and a place in the family of the Comte de la Tour Rouge. So when Henry and Beepole are ready to move on, to continue their journey to the White Mountains where people are still free, Will holds back. Would it be so terrible to be kept if it meant enjoying such a good life with the promise of marriage to Eloise to make it perfect? He tells his friends he'll follow them later, but they don't believe him, and in his heart he doesn't believe it himself. Only after Eloise is crowned Queen of the Games and tells him gladly that as a result she is to go to the city of the tripods to serve them, is he shocked into realizing what he was on the point of doing, and into renewing his determination to fight for freedom. But if humanity does succeed, against overwhelming odds in winning the struggle, in defeating the tripods and regaining freedom, what follows? The wonderful capacity we have of relating to one another, however doubtfully and uncertainly, is also the root of our enmities. Love and hate are opposite sides of a coin which has been endlessly tossed throughout human history without producing any final result. So there are two challenges which Will and his friends have to face. The most urgent one is to throw off the tyranny of the masters, to regain freedom for mankind. But even if they achieve that, they're left with the problems that were there before the tripods came, the problems of disunity and the horrors of war. The second challenge is even bigger than the first and more daunting. Can we be free and still live together in peace? At the end of their adventures, it's understandable that Will and his companions should take an optimistic view. We must all wish them well. John Christopher, 2003 Chapter 1 A Plan of Action Everywhere there was the sound of water. In places it was no more than a faint whisper, heard only because of the great stillness all around. In others an eerie distant rumbling, like the voice of a giant talking to himself in the bowels of the earth. But there were places also where its rushing was clear and loud, and the actual torrent was visible by the light of oil lamps, flinging itself down dark rocky watercourses, or spilling in a fall over a sheer edge of stone and places where the water lay calm, in long black reaches, its sound muted to a monotonous drip, 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 which had continued for centuries and will continue for as many more. I was relieved from guard to go to the conference, and so went through the dimly lit tunnel late and alone. The work of nature here mingled with the work of man. The earth's convulsions and the action of long-dead rivers had hollowed out these caverns and channels in the limestone hills, but there were marks of the ancients, too. Men had been here in the past, smoothing uneven floors, widening narrow gaps, sinking handrails into an artificial stone to aid and guide the traveller. There were also long rope-like cables, which had once carried the power called electricity to light bulbs of glass along the way. Our wise men, Beampole had told me, had learned the means of doing this again, but needed resources that were not available to them here nor would be, 
Perhaps while men were forced to skulk like rats in the dark corners of a world governed by the tripods, those huge metal monsters who strode on three giant legs across the face of the earth. I have told already how I left my native village, at the urging of a strange man who called himself Ozymandias. This happened during the summer, which was to have been my last before I was presented for the capping ceremony. In that, boys and girls in their fourteenth year were taken up into one of the tripods and returned later wearing caps, a metal mesh that fitted close to the skull and made the wearer utterly obedient to our alien rulers. There were always a few whose minds broke under the strain of capping, and these became vagrants, men who could not think properly, and who wandered aimlessly from place to place. Ozymandias had posed as one of them. In fact, his mission was to recruit people who would fight against the tripods. So I went with my cousin Henry, who also lived in my village,